This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in, everybody. To the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns 24-7, joined as always by our fearless leader, the managing editor of Horns 24-7. Back from a little vacation. The one and only Taylor Estes. Taylor, how are you doing? Good, Chip. Uh, yeah, we apologize to our listeners for not having a Wednesday episode of the flagship po- podcast last week. I had to kind of was forced to take time off because I hadn't in so long. So feeling refreshed and uh, ready for fall camp to start this week. How are you doing? Well, you didn't miss much. Yeah, only, right. <laughs> only Texas changing conferences in, uh, in about a matter of 10 days and all the nuclear fallout from that, Taylor. So I'm just going to let you weigh in first because I have been doing podcasts. I did a podcast with Barry Trammell of the Oklahoman on Monday, which everyone needs to check out because you get the Oklahoma perspective from Barry. And so I want to hear the Taylor Estes perspective on Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC. I mean, First of all, kudos to all of the sides involved that kept it as quiet as they did for as long as they did, because that is rare to do nowadays, especially when it comes to, you know, two schools of the magnitude like the University of Oklahoma and the University of Texas. I mean, it's just that's it's it's shocking. That's the best way I could say it. It's shocking that they were able to keep it under wraps for as long as they were. You know, I think at the end of the day, Chip, Senator uh, Senator John Whitmire in the Senate grilling of Texas, this select Senate committee said Admiral McRaven would be proud at how Texas, he said it was like a special ops program asked Jay Hartzell. Did he even tell his wife? Anyway, go ahead, Taylor. Yeah. You know, and so I think that it was shocking to kind of get the information when it came down, um, you know, Wednesday before the move was kind of made official, but um, overall, you know, I think that it's it's an important one for both Texas and Oklahoma. The reality is everybody has been, whether it's perception or the reality, um, everybody perceives the Big 12 to being one of the lesser conferences in college football, especially. And, you know, with the ever-changing landscape of college football, college athletics, with the expansion of the college football playoff expected to happen, you know, you have to think you know, ahead of the game and not be reactionary, you need to be proactive. And I think that's exactly what the University of Texas and Oklahoma both did in um, getting this move, you know, going. Um, I was quite surprised by some of the comments that were coming out of the the hearing earlier in this week of the Texas, you know, um, politicians that were going against University of Texas officials And it's, I mean, it's kind of funny because it was almost like a, how many six hour roast of Texas, but then if these people are roasting Texas for doing what they believe is best for the future of uh, their academic, or excuse me, of their athletic department, but then it's like, well, now look, Baylor, we're not going to be able to afford to build this arena if this happens. It's kind of like, so you want to roast them, but essentially all it is, is you want to profit off of Texas and Oklahoma being in the big 12. And, you know, that, that shows in itself chip to me of how big of a move this is and, and should probably happen with just the way that the conference is going. I mean, if Oklahoma and Texas account for 50% of the big 12 revenue and the rest aren't pulling their weight, it's already considered a down conference. Why would you stay in it when everything around you, especially in college football, is changing? Honestly, I feel like on a monthly to you know yearly basis, it seems like. So overall, I mean, 
props for them to keep it under wraps as long as they did. But in the end, I think that this is a smart move for both schools. What about, I mean, I know you've talked, you know, um, in depth about this for weeks now, but, you know, I, I'm curious what your take is from the, the um, meeting earlier in this week between politicians in the state of Texas and what they had to say, and if that's going to impact at all the move for Texas to the SEC. Well, I'm, I'm more convinced than ever that Texas is going to make this move at the earliest 2022 and at the latest 2023. I just don't see how they're not in the SEC by the time ESPN takes over exclusive rights to football and men's basketball in the SEC. And Senator Kolkhorst, I think her name is, she went to TCU. She said, maybe you prefer being beaten by Alabama uh, to TCU. And yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's a, that's a better situation for Texas to lose to Alabama than it is to lose to TCU. Um, Texas has been in a league where it's sort of been expected to beat everyone, but Oklahoma and, and if they lose to anyone other than Oklahoma, it's, seen as a minor catastrophe in the sec you could lose to alabama and and still play them close and have voters or the committee the college football playoff committee say hey this is a team that deserves to be in an expanded playoff field and and the bottom line is there are substantive reasons jay hartzell tried to lay them out in front of the Senate select committee, everyone wanted to pin him down. What was the defining reason? And he was like, uh, economics, recruiting, NIL platform for our student athletes, better games for our fans, need I go on? And at the end, Senator Whitmire, who was sort of the voice of reason in this Senate select committee on the future of college sports in Texas, that was the name of the committee, um, he said, look, y'all ditched the university of Houston. T he called them the complaining schools, TCU, Baylor, and Texas tech. Y'all ditched the university of Houston when you went to the big 12 and now Texas and Oklahoma are doing what they think is best for them. And y'all are furious. Where was the outrage when A&M left in 2011? And he said, this is what they're their base wants them to do. So they're doing it. And he said, it's going to go through. So I, I found it interesting and I, I do, it's a, it's a, it's sad. It is sad because the thought of, of some of the brands, some of the schools that we've covered for, for 10 years, for some of us longer, um, some of us were part of the Southwest conference, uh, SMU, um, back in the day. And, and so there's history that Texas is saying goodbye to and about to create new history. I hope Texas is ready. And when I say that, I mean, I hope they're ready in every sense of the word in terms of how to maximize recruiting, how to maximize NIL, because we're seeing some things this week, like with Quinn Ewers. Um, foregoing his senior season at South Lake Carroll to be able to go earn NIL money at Ohio State. The kid hasn't played it down yet, and he better be ready to, to grind and do everything he needs to do to win over his teammates in that locker room. But that is a little bit of a sidebar from the fact that Texas better be ready to compete at every level to the max to take advantage of this. It doesn't do Texas any good if they're not at the cutting edge forefront of, of everything from, you know, recruiting to um, making sure that the NIL platform is as maximized as it can be. And some of this Taylor, I'm going to get into in the insider. I'm looking into this because of the way the Texas state law was written. It's pretty restrictive and, and I don't know, I don't know if it should have been written the way it was written. They might've been better off not having a state law and just falling under the NCAA catch-all of 
all right, y'all do whatever you want. We don't know what to do. And we're not going to regulate this stuff because we don't want to get sued right. for a trade. And so I'll, I'll get into that, but it, it, it's exciting. If we are headed toward a mega conference, if we're headed toward 32, the top 32 schools breaking away from the NCAA, Texas is perfectly positioned. I mean, Texas is going to be in that group anyway, but let's, let's see how it plays out. I hope it's certainly going to be better games. I mean, from a purely selfish standpoint, it's going to be great to cover LSU, Georgia, Alabama week in and week out, as opposed, no offense, love my road trips to, to Manhattan, Kansas, and love my man Fitz at gopowercat.com. But, and in those trips to West Virginia, but I'll take the, I'll take the SEC games all day long, Taylor. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, when the argument was made about you'd rather, you know, lose to Alabama over losing to TCU, the, the college football playoff committee got that type of thought in motion in year one of the college football playoff when TCU was an 11 and one team. And the only loss they had was a three point loss to Baylor. That was also an 11 and one team. And they, in the final week of the regular season, won 55 to three, yet somehow dropped three spots and out of the college football playoff. They went from number three in the country to number six, finishing the year with one loss. That, in my opinion, Chip, showed what the committee thinks about the teams not named Texas and Oklahoma in the Big 12. They set the tone for year one of the college football playoff. And, you know, to be honest, I thought it was kind of BS when that happened to TCU because it's like, how how can you drop them three spots when, you know, um, Ohio State lost to Virginia Tech by, what was it, 14 points or something? It was two touchdowns at least. I mean, um, double-digit loss. And that somehow led to them going to the college football playoff. So, you know, TCU was number three. Exactly. Yeah. So somehow finishing, yeah, with a dominant win, 55 to three was their last game of the year. And somehow after that, they fell three spots. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, uh, they were six, I believe. Yeah. Six. Yeah. That was the Baylor effect. They did not want to reward Baylor and they didn't want to, um, they couldn't put TCU in because TCU had lost to Baylor. So they just washed their hands of the big 12 and said, that was when they said the stupid thing about the, well, they didn't have the uh, 13th data point, meaning they right. didn't have a championship game to settle it. And then the big 12 scurried and approved a championship game between the top two teams in the league. But you're right. And that, that said a lot about where, um, the schools not named Texas and Oklahoma were, and 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 now here we are. And so, I'm not going to get into all the, you know, the politics of it because there are people at Oklahoma State, TCU, Iowa State who I really like. Right. I like a lot of their coaches, their ads. I have a good relationship with. I I feel for them. I feel for Jamie Pollard at Iowa state, the athletic director who turned down Nebraska to stay at Iowa state and is now probably going, uh Oh, yeah. And, and Matt Campbell, who's turned down job after job to stay at Iowa state and is probably going, uh Oh, at least until we see what, uh, what happens. And we'll, we'll continue to monitor just today. Um, you know, Bob Bowlesby was uh, supposed to be talking to PAC 12 commissioner, uh, George Klyavkov, and who knows about possible scheduling alliance, possible merger, or members, select members, um, rumors about Kansas in the Big Ten, which is a little surprising to me. Um, and we'll get into that, uh, I think, a little bit later, Taylor. We'll get into some Texas football here, but it, this is an evolving process. I, I will just say, I'm, I think. Texas is in the SEC, the earliest 22, the latest 23. With that, let's get into uh, Texas football because they are going to be reporting this week, Thursday. They come back from their their week off from summer workouts, and uh, we get into fall camp on Friday. And so we did sort of a recap of summer workouts and – 
uh, in the insider last week. I want to talk to you about that a little bit, Taylor, because it's been, first of all, it was a healthy summer for the most mm-hmm. part, for the most part. It, it, you had Ben Davis with a foot injury, he was in a boot, but Steve Sarkeesian said at Big 12 Media Days that the Alabama outside linebacker transfer will be fine when fall camp starts. And so other than that, Texas came through summer workouts unscathed. There was, they were working out with Tory Becton on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. They were doing player-led practices on Tuesday, Thursday. And so that's a great starting point right there. You're going to be getting back guys like Tavondre Sweat, DeMarvian Overshawn, guys who missed the spring who are going to be counted on. And that's exciting. Steve Sarkeesian hasn't seen those guys in pads yet. He will starting Friday. And by all accounts, Taylor, the team, I heard there were a lot of fights, a lot of scuffles and a lot of testosterone flowing, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You want competition, but it sounds like the guys who are supposed to be leading are leading and And then there's the Xavier worthy uh, hype that is just, just keeps bubbling over. I mean, I'm expecting this guy to be Julio Jones or something uh, when, when he hits the field, but that's exciting. That's exciting. It's summer workouts. It's underwear Olympics. Don't get crazy on this until we see him in pads and until we see him get hit by DeMarvin Overshawn coming over the middle and, and how does he handle that? And how does he handle getting hit? Uh, I'm not going to go crazy on Xavier Worthy yet, but his teammates are sure impressed uh, with what he looks like in seven on seven. So that's exciting, Taylor. Yeah, it is. And, you know, Chip, as you reported in the Insider, um, a, a big change this summer was with the strength and conditioning program led by Tori Becton. And, um, you know, you had a quote from a source and it's funny cause I, it reminds me of a report I put out in February, but you know, how Becton's more old school with making guys run until they puke. I mean, that's been going on even prior to spring practice, but the, the end result is the whole team has gotten faster as chip reported in the insider. And that's huge. And the fact that they did go through a whole summer without injuries. I mean, I feel like that was not really the case. A lot of times, more times than not, I feel under Tom Herman and his strength and conditioning staff at Texas, I feel that, you know, hearing, I I know that people will get into the, you know, if there's fights, maybe be concerned about that. I've never am one that is concerned about that. Now, if it's the same characters starting fights over and over and over again with different people, then maybe that's a little bit of a problem, but you know, you want competition and you want to have guys that are going to put people in their place if they're not, you know, stepping up and doing what they're asked to do. And, you know, as you reported before, that's what uh, Ben Davis, there was a scuffle in practice um, or excuse me, in, you know, summer workouts a couple weeks ago because he felt that an offensive lineman was not pulling its weight and was complaining about having to do more. And that's the type of mentality that Texas has lacked for many years, not just recent history for many years. I think dating back to probably the, you know, Colt McCoy era, that was probably the last time that they really had guys that were those type of alpha dog leaders that, you know, also had the winning tradition or winning, you know, record at their back that could tell guys to, suck it up and do what you got to do. I think that, you know, one of the, I think it's just a a good thing. And I do think hearing the difference in the strength and conditioning staff and how Tom Herman's strength and conditioning staff, you know, kind of made things personal. Um, That was an issue that Caden Stearns had with uh, the strength staff at Texas. He, you know, it was like, they called him names because he was injured. You know, it wasn't like, let's get you healthy and let's figure out a way to get you back on the field quickly as possible. It was kind of like, Oh, stop being a wuss, you know? And so hearing that is probably refreshing for Texas fans to hear, but also for the team, because even if the team is running so hard and working so hard that they're puking, but everything we have both heard from our sources, various sources, you know, that are, are close to Texas is that the, the players respect Tory Becton's approach and his staff's approach. And so I'm, I'm very eager to see what this team looks like come, you know, the start of fall camp later in this week to see if you can see any physical changes just with their bodies itself, you know, before they even put on the pads. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I, a faster Texas team is, is a plus. Now, mm-hmm. how Sarkeesian manages their legs and making sure that they have their legs uh, is going to be enormous because I cannot stress enough that Texas is going to face adversity in the first two weeks of the season against Louisiana. Yes, the Ragin' Cajuns. And in their road trip to Arkansas against their new SEC brethren who are picked to finish last in the SEC West. Taylor, that is a game now that is a must win for Texas because the haters are clanging their pots and pans and having a field day like Senator Charles Perry from Lubbock, who, you know, basically said, if you're as big and great as you think you are, you would have made the big 12 as good as or better than the SEC, but you didn't. And cousin Eddie's coming to wreck the whole house and leaving. And it just was like, how old are you? Right. But still, everyone loves to hate Texas and Texas has been down. So everybody's kicking the three legged dog right now. And if Texas loses to the last, the team picked to finish last in the SEC West, they're going to have to hear about that for a year until they play Alabama in 22, unless they're already on an SEC schedule. Yeah. But that, that is a game now that Texas has to win just to keep the wolves off of them for tearing apart the Big 12 or whatever they're getting blamed for and, and going off to the SEC. And, and everyone's like, well, Oklahoma, they'll be fine in the, in the SEC. They've won the Big 12. 15 of the 21 years, that's 21 years of six straight Texas, Texas has been in a identity crisis for the last 10 years. And that's, that's the truth. Mm -hmm. Texas has been uh, searching for its identity from a leadership standpoint, from the top down at the, at the university over the last, since 2013, since Mac Brown got run off. So Long story short, this team, their chemistry, their bond in fall camp is going to be huge. To me, that's as big as any position player or position group uh, that develops over the next month because they've got to handle adversity and not have the, uh uh-oh, here we go again, or the panic button uh, when when they hit adversity because they're going to hit it. Yeah, no doubt. And I'm, you know, another kind of area I'm very eager to see are the transfers because everything we have been hearing throughout the entire offseason, both in, you know, fall or excuse me, in uh, winter and spring workouts, um, you know, with Ray Thornton. And then when the other grad or transfers came in, like Ben Davis, Ovi Agofu, Keelan Robinson, I mean, everything we've heard about those guys and, and you reiterated again in the insider last week is, you know, they're just there's no ego. They just, you know, they push their teammates to get better. And that's something Texas hasn't had very much of. And so, you know, hearing a lot of hype about them is always great, but we haven't had a chance to see them yet in person. I'm, I'm eager about that, I think. Um, but I'm really eager about how they're going to utilize Keelan Robinson chip. And, you know, you kind of got into it saying that he, um, in the insider that he fit in, you know, right away, and he's been one of the more impressive guys in the player run practices. What have you heard that has stood out the most about Keelan Robinson? Yeah, that he's, he's fast and he can catch and he's elusive. I mean, so he's a little bit of the lightning to Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson's thunder. This is a guy who can kind of dart and sidestep and make you miss and even though B. John Robinson can do those things, good God, we've seen him put some defenders on their backside just by getting north and south. Um, like we saw in the spring game, hate to keep bringing up Brendan Schooler. It's like being caught on a poster underneath a dunk, but we all saw it at the goal line. I mean, Schooler had perfect position, but B. John Robinson cut so fast and so hard that 
schooler kind of went tumbling. And so that's what Keelan Robinson brings. And I'll go back to the Alabama source I spoke with who compared him to Kendall Hunter, who ran for 1500 yards twice at Oklahoma state. So I don't want to get ahead of myself there because I haven't seen him in pads. I haven't seen him in a game, but I trust the people at Alabama. They don't overcook stuff. They just said the kid didn't know what to do about COVID. And so he sat out the year, but he can play now at Alabama. They're recruiting five stars at every position you get recruited over. And he saw his opportunity at Texas and the no ego part is interesting for me, Taylor, because that that did come from a team source and they've apparently found a group of transfers. And it helps that they've come in from programs like LSU, Notre Dame and Alabama because they don't have an ego because they've been competing their butts off and not getting much playing time at championship level programs. And so now they come in and they're just trying to tell the guys at Texas, Hey, this is how we've done it. I know it may not be how you've done it, but we went to the college football playoff and some of us have played for Steve Sarkeesian before. So we're just telling you, this is how we've done it in the past. So I get where there's been some tension and whatnot, but I think once the coaches are back on the field with the players, they get to channel all that energy. And let's see, I, Listen, I've, I've said it. I'm a broken record on these first two games. If they're 2-0 and after the first two games, I'm going to be okay. Sark, good job. You got your team to buy in. All this buy-in you talk about, you got it. They did it. They listened. You put your players in position to be successful. And there's real confidence momentum going here. And that's what I'm watching to see develop because I, I maybe it's whiplash from all the crap you know, non-conference losses that we've seen the last five, six years through. And even before that, heck go back to Mac Brown, losing to BYU. Uh, but it it's, that's what I'm looking for. Cause it's not, it is. I know that we all laughed when Sark said it at big 12 football media days. You don't, it's not, you don't just sprinkle magic dust on, on players and, and say, Hey, look what I did at the national championship game for Alabama. Let's go it's it's starts from the ground up. And so we're going to watch that evolve, develop over the next month. And it, it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, and I think, you know, another thing that we are going to watch evolve and develop is the quarterback situation at Texas chip. And you reported in the insider about, you know, where the competition kind of is between Casey Thompson and Hudson card heading into fall camp. And one thing that it sounds like is Casey Thompson has really tried to grasp the role as a leader. And that's something that Steve Sarkeesian, you know, when he, he said over and over again, you know, about how he needs the, a leader at quarterback and he doesn't have to be the most vocal guy, but he needs somebody that the team respects. He said, you know, that at big 12 media days that he had seen it um, in both Hudson card and Casey Thompson. That's why he didn't feel like they needed a ton of vocal leadership from them because they do everything right. They put the work in, they are the first ones to leave or to, they're the first ones there, the last ones to leave. They're the ones that, you know, they ask all the right questions. And when they have that type of, you know, kind of lead by example, the team follows suit and starts to um, really, you know, grasp a hold and, and follow those type of quarterback leaders And, you know, one thing that is interesting, though, is I don't think Hudson Card may have grasped the more of the, you know, leadership role in the player led practices from what you reported. And, you know, what what does that look like heading into fall camp? Yeah, it's fascinating because I'm not surprised that some, you know, depending on who you talk to, uh, some will say Hudson Cards had the better summer. Now, that does not shock me because he is an amazing thrower of the football and in seven on seven summer work, you're not getting sacked. And the big question mark, I think that Steve Sarkeesian is going to have to weigh as fall camp rolls on is Hudson cards pocket presence because Casey Thompson has shown he's a good second reaction quarterback. When things break down, 
he'll slide. He'll step up. He'll keep his eyes downfield. He'll still make the completion. We saw two uh, really significant completions in the Alamo bowl where he got flushed and, and Hudson Carr tends to go out the back of the pocket, like a young quarterback, which is terrible because now you're going back another five yards. You're already dropped back three, five, seven yards. And now you're running for your life at a depth of 10 or 12 yards behind the line of scrimmage. That's where this battle is going to be won or lost. Once everyone's in pads and things break down, which quarterback handles that situation the best Hudson card in seven on seven is going to look amazing because that guy can spin it. Everybody admits it. Casey Thompson admits it, but there's more in the, in the recipe than that. And, and so Steve Sarkeesian who picked Mac Jones over Bryce young last year, the veteran, the low rated three-star recruit who's wearing number 50 with the Patriots right now, which is hilarious. I don't know if that uh, is like the veterans making him do that or what, but um, it's, it's going to be fun to watch because Hudson card is a great thrower of the football. Casey Thompson is a gritty grinder who happens to have a 71% completion rate, six touchdowns, no picks in the action that he had last year. And I just, think when you're going up against veteran teams like Louisiana and Arkansas, even though Arkansas was three and seven last year, you probably want a guy who's a little more vocal, been through it a little bit. We'll see because anything can happen in this camp. It's wide open. And that's another thing that's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of things, um, you know, so fall camp starts later in this week, Chip. Is there anything else that you think is important to tell our listeners, you know, before the first practice kicks off? Um, I believe it's going to be on Friday. Yeah, I think, I think we've covered the, the big stuff. And, and then I think we'll see after about a week, pay attention after about a week of camp, to what Steve Sarkeesian is saying about the quarterback situation. Cause I think it's going to be telling that will be your, your early stage diagnosis from Sarkeesian. And you'll compare that to what he said at big 12 media day, a big 12 media day. He talked about Casey being a good leader and vocal and all that. And he talked about how Hudson card was a really talented thrower of the football. Let's see if the descriptions start to change and, and then who's getting it done. We'll have reports from the scrimmages. There'll be two significant scrimmages from fall camp uh, on, you know, the first two Saturdays of fall camp, the third one, they tend to just have the young guys go at it. So they don't risk injury. So it'll be fun. It'll be fun. All right, yeah. Taylor, lots of uh, lots of stuff. We haven't even gotten to love it or leave it yet. I know. Well, Chip, we will get to love it or leave it after we take a really quick break. But you'll want to stick around because we're going to have much more football talk as football season is right around the corner. Plus, um, you know, some more talk about conference realignment and what this means both for Texas and the Big 12. So stay tuned. We will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chip, you ready for some love it or leave it? Let's do it. All righty. My first one for you is the summer workout hype surrounding Xavier Worthy is almost making you too uncomfortable to repeat it. Love it or leave it. Okay. So I'll, I'll love this. I'll love this because you hate when the hype is over the, over the moon and then they get in pads and it's not, it's not as good. So I'm going to love this, but 
I've heard from enough people I trust and from the players at Big 12 Football Media Days from Bijan Robinson and Keandre Coburn that this kid is, he sounds like he's got a little something and it might allow him to make an impact uh, right away. So I'm going to love the overcooked summer workout hype, but I am intrigued and I can't wait to see this kid um, on the football field because let's be honest, Taylor, Texas hasn't had a receiver go in the first two rounds of the NFL draft since Limus Swede in 2008. And that is ridiculous. Do you know the last first round pick of an offensive player for the Longhorns? Hmm. Was it Vince? Vince Young. Yeah. Wow. Six, 15 short years ago. So let's get some, let's get some NFL type talent in here. Bijan Robinson needs a friend in, in the receiver core because Bijan's going to create all kinds of play action pass and RPO situations for guys like Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington and Josh Moore and Troy O'Meary. So you got to have someone who can take advantage of all of that. Taylor, how about you? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that I'm going to leave it. I'm not too uncomfortable to repeat it. I think that you aren't too uncomfortable to repeat it either. Cause you've been writing about Xavier worthy for quite a while. Well, everyone <laughs> keeps talking about him. Right. I'm like, really? Isn't there anyone else? Can't y'all give me someone else? Well, he's been really good. I'm like, oh. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but that's a good sign. That's a really good sign. And it, as you mentioned, it's going to matter when the, the pads come on. And in the underwear Olympics, a lot of times the the speed player or the skill players and the guys that are the fastest are the ones that do look the most impressive, you know, compared to some of the other positions on the field. But, um, you know, I think that I wouldn't say I'm too uncomfortable to repeat it. I wouldn't set too many high expectations and try to say that he's the next you know, Jalen Waddle or something like that, because I think that that is yet to be seen. And, you know, we got to see him in a game before we can even try to make any type of claims like that. But, you know, in our industry, when we're talking to sources and even as you mentioned, you're talking to Bijan Robinson and Keandre, Keandre Coburn at Big 12 Media Days, when all of the things being said about one guy all line up, it's usually because it's true. It's not usually some like random anomaly where we have sources from all over the place telling us all the same thing. And then it's actually wrong. Like that, that is very rare. And um, I've, I've been in covering Texas. This will be, I think my 10th season um, and as a credential media member. And, you know, that has never really happened where in 10 years covering this program where everything we were hearing about somebody, you know, throughout the off season ended up being false you know, um, through multiple sources. So I think that the hype is legitimate. I think that it's it's easy for some people to hear that, you know, any type of hype and overhype a player um, too soon. And I think that that's, you know, just common fans. I mean, they're called fanatics for a reason, you know, that's what fans are. And so um, I think you don't want to overhype a player, but I do think that from everything that our sources have said, from what Keandre Coburn talked about, from what Bijan Robinson talked about with the Xavier Worthy it, you know, there, there's more substance to it than just kind of, you know, smoke right now. I think that there, there's a lot more than that. So I'm going to leave it and say, I'm not too comfortable to repeat it, but I am very eager to see him for my own, you know, my own two eyes, first of all, but then also in a game setting too, before I'm ready to start, you know, declaring him the second coming of, you know, Jalen Waddle or anything like that. I think that's good. I think that's good. I think the second coming of Jalen Waddle is a, is a fair uh, comparison. <laughs> Texas kid who went to Alabama and lit it up. All yeah, right. Let's, what, let's, let's not overhype him yet there. <laughs> let's, let's hold on to there. <laughs> All right. Some, my son. Got some time okay. to overhype him. Let's not, let's not get there quite yet. Yeah. He's a freshman. I mean, come on. We don't need to destroy, you know, his, <laughs> any type of, you know, confidence he's gained if he doesn't turn out to be that day one. So yeah. Um, all right. My second one for you, Chip, is love it or leave it. Texas moving to the SEC puts an even bigger target on the Longhorns this season. Okay. 
I'm going to love this. I'm going to love this. Now, here's, I, I mean, Texas always brings out the beast in, in their opponents because love them or hate them. Texas is seen as the, the big, you know, the, the fortune 500 college football program uh, compared to everyone else's NASDAQ program. And, and so now that you have this sec um, future teams are going to want to show you're not ready. You're not ready even more. So, so I'm going to love this. And a school like Arkansas is going to be as laser focused as possible. TCU already treats Texas like their civil war. So, but it will, it will have an impact. Oklahoma state Baylor, I think is not going to be very good. They'll probably play their best game against Texas. So I'm going to love this. I know it sounds kind of geeky and weird, but how about you, Taylor? Yeah, I'm going to love it. I mean, just for everything you said, I mean, Texas already a lot of times has that target because people want to take down Goliath. They want to, you know, if they're considered David, they want to take down Goliath and they want to be the team that could say the Gary Patterson's of the world that, you know, as you said, I mean, they treat it like the Super Bowl almost every time they play Texas and his teams are and then they'll, they'll finish the season 500 but they'll beat Texas. And that's all that matters. It seems for a lot of these, these teams. And that's even before you get into the fact that Texas and OU leaving could, you know, be the end and just basically dissolve the big 12 conference potentially. So yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think that um, there's an even bigger target on the Longhorns this season. I would say the same for the Sooners. The, the difference would be though, that I think Oklahoma um, you know, barring any substantial injuries at like a key position, like, you know, quarterback or something like that. I think this may be one of the best Oklahoma teams and could actually not just win the first game of the college football playoff. I think that if all things kind of fall in line, I think that this team could really compete to win the, the actual college football playoff and, um, you know, kind of end the streak of not having any wins so far. So when they've been selected as the top four teams. So yeah, I'm totally going to agree. I'm going to, I'm going to love that. And they're both, I think, going to have a big target on their back. I just remember when Texas went to Nebraska for the last time, when Nebraska was getting ready to go to the big 10 and their student section was full two hours before the game. And they were licking their chops. They thought they were coming to the funeral of Texas football and Garrett Crazy Legs Gilbert ran for 71 yards and two touchdowns and Texas beat Nebraska. And they the student section was they were like slumped over the railing. I mean, it was like, are you kidding me? That we're was one of Texas five wins that year. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. So it it sometimes it can get you too amped. Right. And you can want to beat someone so badly that you're completely out of your, your normal mindset and you're not paying attention to the details and, and all that stuff. So anyway, it is going to be unbelievable theater. The best reality television this fall will not be on ABC, CBS, or NBC. It will be in the Big 12 every Saturday as uh, everybody lines up to try to get their licks on Texas. Yeah. All right. Taylor, love it or leave it. Numero tres. All right. This is my final one for you, Chip. And it is love it or leave it. The best move for the remaining members of the big 12 is to merge with the pac 12. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave this because I think, I think the big 10 should, should get in. And I know everyone's talking about Kansas to the big 10. Big 10 needs to get over themselves. They need to go grab Oklahoma state and and Iowa state would make sense. But if you're going to 16, those are the two I would grab. I mean, if they were really smart, they would go grab Texas tech 
and Oklahoma State and add those two markets into the Big Ten. And I don't know that the Big Ten under Commissioner Warren, who I've not heard anything good about. I mean, everything I've heard was about the COVID stuff where they were all, all five commissioners were on a call that morning saying, oh yeah, yeah, we're good. Everybody's good. And we won't do anything without telling each other. And then later that afternoon, the big 10 cancels their season. Right. And the other commissioners are like, huh? Mm-hmm. Who are you? Yeah. So if I'm the big 10, I don't know that I trust anything that commissioner Warren tells me. So I'm not sure what kind of Intel uh, is going on in the big 10 used to have the most czar like commissioner in Jim Delaney who wanted to rule the world and tried to get North Carolina and Duke into the big 10 and, and got Maryland and Rutgers instead. But yeah, the big 10 needs Jim Delaney back right now because they could add a couple of really important markets right in the middle of the country, still in the central time zone. And, and then the remainder go off to the PAC 12, in my opinion. What about you, Taylor? Yeah, I'm going to leave it. Um, You know, the other thing too, with, I agree with you. I think that there are some schools that the Big Ten should definitely consider. You also have to consider, you know, West Virginia going to the Pac-12. I mean, that that's a tough road trip for us to get from the center of the country to West Virginia. For them to have to go all the way to the West Coast, I don't think would be a feasible ask for that. But I do think that there are some Big 12 schools that the Pac-12 should consider adding. I think, you know, there is a part of me that thinks that Texas Tech would be one to consider. And I know that the one thing, though, Chip, that I I kind of am back and forth on is I don't know where the Pac-12 leadership is with the whole education stance, because that was a big deal. That's been something that the conference has kind of touted up a lot um, in recent years. And so I don't, if they, if they continue that, then obviously Texas Tech probably is not going to be a good fit for the Pac-12. But I think that it would be smart for the leadership in the Pac-12 to maybe make some exceptions if they don't, if they want to stay relevant or become relevant, I should say, because I would say that the Pac-12 is not relevant right now and they have a long ways to go before they are. Um, But I think that it would be wise for them to add some of the teams and to especially get into the central time zone. I mean, the whole Pac-12 after dark, people like to joke about it, but there's a reason why they're not usually in the mix at the end of the year because their best games, nobody watches who, who sees them. I mean, like it's, it's tough, you know, and it was smart, you know, when Texas and USC played at USC in 2017 for them to make that kickoff 5 PM Pacific time. Cause that was 7 PM central. So everyone was able to watch it, but if that game would have been at 7 PM central, I mean, actually I bet people probably still would, if it was Texas and USC 7 PM Pacific time, but still like when that, you can't just rely on people hoping that just because USC is on TV or some of the bigger names in that conference are on TV, that people in the East coast or even central time zone are going to stay up to watch it because especially journalists who, you know, been covering football all day, you know, it's not like our days are just over once the game ends. I mean, shoot, I don't even want to admit how many hours we work on game days, you know? And uh, so I think that it'd be wise for the PAC 12 to consider them, but I think it would not be wise to, had all eight remaining big 10 or big 12 members. I think that it's just going to have to be split up, um, not just from, you know, a better fit suited thing, but also just from a geographic standpoint where you have a team like West Virginia, that's so far East. And, um, you know, even, you know, I, I think Kansas and Kansas state are kind of in a, a tricky situation too, because the, you know, those aren't easiest or Kansas state's definitely not an easy game to go to. And it would especially be not easy if you're flying from the West Coast to into Manhattan, Kansas. I mean, that's just not it's a it's a rough trip to begin with, um, regardless if you fly into Manhattan or if you fly into Kansas City um, and then drive the two hour plus you know ride out there. So I do think that they need to consider some of the teams, but I don't think it would be wise to add all eight to the Pac-12. Yeah. And Fox is going to have a big say in this because Fox is the primary rights holder in the big 10, the big 10 network and the PAC 12 network. And so Fox, where are you at? Cause ESPN is trying to take over the world 
And I reported that Fox tried to get in front of Texas and Oklahoma at the 11th hour to say, hey, go independent. We will pay you what we were paying the entire Big 12 for you to go independent and we'll fill your schedule with Big 10 and Pac-12 opponents. Texas and Oklahoma were like, thanks, no thanks. Where are we going to put all our other sports? We will continue on with the SEC. So Fox needs to, needs to get in the game here and, and figure out, you know, sadly, Taylor, we, as much as Jay Hartzell said he hadn't had any conversations with ESPN during that Senate select committee hearing, ESPN has been talking to somebody. I can, I can tell you that because uh, there's no way Texas makes this move without knowing what the money is and, and what the security is. And so that's, that's now we're waiting for Fox to, to make a move. And so, um, yeah. Let's let's see what the Big Ten get off, get get a new commissioner and get going. Yeah, um, he failed in year one in a historic manner. Like that's why you need to have somebody as a conference commissioner that has college administration experience. When you don't have that, it's a disaster. And that's what Kevin Warren is, and he's been on the job uh, less than two years, and he should have been fired after year one, in my opinion. So yeah, they need they need better leadership. And I, I don't know much about the new Pac-12 commissioner, but Larry Scott was a terrible leader too. And he had zero, you know, college administration experience either when he took over that job. So, um, you know, the, the powers that be currently need to figure out the right decision from the, the um, you know, commissioner's office as well, not just from adding teams. They got, they got to get someone who knows what they're doing, especially in the Big Ten. Yeah, and I'll just from what I've heard from Commissioner Klyavkov in the Pac-12, I think he's better than Larry Scott already. Well, and he may end up getting exact. Well, not exactly what Larry Scott was trying for. Cause Larry wanted Texas and Oklahoma almost got him, Didn't. And now George Klyavkov may end up getting uh, some of the big 12 to get into that central time zone, as you were mentioning. So people can actually see USC and Oregon uh, play football before midnight. All right, Taylor, good stuff, good stuff. And thanks to everybody for listening to the Flagship Podcast. Make sure you check out Monday's Flagship Podcast interview with Barry Trammell of the Oklahoma and some really good nuggets in there uh, on the OU perspective. And, of course, Barry's perspective. He's been covering the Big 12 since it formed um, on Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC. And I'll just say... I think it's 2022 at the earliest, 2023 at the latest. And uh, for Taylor Estes, Managing Editor of Horns 24-7, I am Chip Brown. Until next time, stay safe and keep the faith.